now for your feature presentation. One, or two, or three, or four, five, or five. Happy New Year's, listeners. Before we get started here, make sure that one of your New Year's resolutions is to rate and review this podcast. I am your host, ex-video store clerk, screenwriter, and fellow listener, Jason Kleberg, and this is Force 5, a show where I force my guest to come up with a movie-themed top five list topic, and then we reveal our picks on air. I recently discovered a subreddit on Reddit that I really like called Lost Media. This is where people get together and look for media that once aired somewhere and is now nearly impossible to locate. Things that aren't on YouTube, things that aren't for sale, things you need to find in somebody's garage sale basket on a recorded VHS tape. It's that kind of stuff. And it's really interesting. People get really passionate about finding things and go all detective mode, go all Columbo. And there have been some really cool things that have been saved. Uh, For example, there are two episodes of Sesame Street that were considered lost. One remains lost to this very day, titled Snuffy's Parents Get a Divorce which was intended to run in 1992, but never did because of test screening reactions. Children allegedly came away from the test screening confused and with mixed messages. Some of them interpreted the episode to mean that their parents were going to get divorced. Some like thought that their parents no longer loved them. And it was just kind of a mess. So that one never aired. But another episode, 847, originally aired in the winter of 1976, and it only aired that one time. It featured the Wicked Witch of the West from The Wizard of Oz, actually played by Margaret Hamilton, losing her broomstick over Sesame Street and then causing havoc as she attempts to recover it. So shortly after this aired, the creators of the series received numerous letters from angry parents who said that the Wicked Witch had frightened their children. Because of this, the episode was pulled from rebroadcast and was not seen by the public again. So unless you had recorded this on VHS, and I don't even know if 1976 they had VCRs that you could record on, uh, you would have never seen this episode. In 2019, some clips of the episode were shown during a Lost and Found event celebrating Sesame Street's 50th anniversary, and shortly after that, the full episode was archived into the Library of Congress. Yet, you were still, you couldn't see this media. It was just locked behind that Library of Congress wall. Well, somebody was able to hack into the Library of Congress, and this is one of the things that they snagged, and they put it up online for everybody to see. So now you can go online and you can find this episode, number 847. And I was thinking about this the other day because I shuttered the Patreon earlier this year, and there are a couple of episodes on there that I produce that are now kind of considered lost. Some of my Patreon subscribers back in the day didn't even listen to the episode. So long story short, I wanted a bit of a vacation of sorts from the show, from recording, really more editing. And I didn't want to skip a week. So I'm going to unveil to you an episode that aired last year on Patreon. This is Top 5 Vampire Films with film critic Derek Murray. So I hope you had a happy 2023. I hope you have an amazing 2024. We're going to kick things off in uh, in really cool style for January. I've got Top 5 Physical Media Releases of 2023 coming soon. And then i got my big show, The Best of 2023, coming at the end of the month with some really amazing guests. So stay tuned for that. And here's Top 5 Vampire Films after a word from our sponsor. Wrap it up at Sam Goody. Over 10,000 gifts, under $15. The latest music from pop to jazz. Smash hit movies from children's favorites to thrilling adventures. Or blank tape and more. Wrap up all your holiday shopping at Sam Goody. Goody. Welcome back to the Force 5 podcast. Today I am joined by film critic Derek Murray. Derek, how are you tonight? Hello everyone. I'm doing I'm doing very well. I'm very very excited uh to to be on this show. I'm excited too. This is a great topic and uh one that we're going to get into here in just a second. But first, why don't you tell us a little bit about you and a little bit about your your critical work? Yeah, so uh, I actually, I've always been a big fan of movies, um, always been a big fan of writing, and uh, luckily the pandemic provided me uh, plenty of time to do both. Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, while I was stuck at home, I, I was already kind of working, uh, with Nerdbot, um, not on their site, but just with some of their live stuff that they were doing. And, uh, 
you know, I decided I was going to start rewatching all the Pixar movies and then rewatched all of the MCU in chronological order up to that point. Oh, wow. Um, you know, I had nothing else to do. I'm just at home. Uh, and so they were like, oh, you should you should write about your experience. And I was like, well, this is perfect. I've always wanted to do this. Um, and then I've just been basically reviewing films for the last three years now. Um so I've gotten to do some festival stuff, which has been awesome. Just finished Sundance, uh, which is great. Oh, nice. I'm going to do uh, South by Southwest again this year. Um, super excited. So, yeah, it's been it's been really fun. I, you know, I, I wish I wish I could say I was further along and I was, you know, a Rotten Tomatoes, you know, uh, <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes approved and all of that. But I just, frankly, I haven't really been do- doing it long enough uh, to, to actually qualify for those. So, um, but I, I do it because I love movies. And uh, it's it's a lot of fun. So, well, someday, someday. Oh, I will. I will do it. I will. I will absolutely do it. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna be approved. You'll see. You'll see. All right. I want to talk about some of your favorite movies of all time. But first, you just covered Sundance. What's the best thing that you saw at Sundance? Oh man. Um. I I did a I did a long run. It's it's so hard. I, I know because there were a lot of big players that I just didn't get a chance to see. Um. Because I had to do it all virtually and. Mm-hmm. They, they, this year, because I think they were trying to drive people to, you know, be in person this year, they made even the, uh, online ticketing system, just an absolute nightmare. Like I heard would, that. I heard it was, that, yeah. it was a, absolutely, I had a colleague too, that, uh, he just didn't even bother. He was like, Hey, if there's a movie I have that you want, you want to just jump onto mine. Cause I don't want to do this. Like he was so frustrated with the ticketing system. Um, so there's a couple, I, I'm going to say my favorite, but there's a couple on there that I just didn't, I didn't get to see like fair play. You hurt my feelings, uh, Flora and son, um, past lives, which is a big one. Um, so there, there were some big heavy hitters that I just missed out on, but of all of them, uh, and this is speaking to the theater geek in me because I did grow up uh, in as a as a young thespian in high school. Um, it, it would have to be theater camp. Oh, I heard good things. It's it's just such a blast, man. I it's it's so much fun. And if you are if you were a drama nerd or you're a theater kid or any any of those things, if you if you knew a drama kid, and you were like that guy's weird. Uh, this movie encapsulates all of that, and it just does a beautiful job of being. Uh, you know, satirical, but also, you know, kind of honoring uh, to, to that life. And uh, the music is great. It's super funny. Um, I absolutely loved it. And it actually, it ironically, it ties into one of my favorite comedies, um, uh, which is Hamlet 2. I haven't seen that. I adore Hamlet. It's like Steve Coogan at his best. Um, very, very, very simple, very, you know, uh, and, and theater camps like this, but it's very, you know, sing the song, save the space type of thing. It's, it's that kind of narrative, um, you know, do the play, save the theater. Uh, but it is just so outrageously hilarious. Um, and, and that Hamlet 2 is like a hard R. And theater camp is like the PG version of Hamlet 2. So uh, they're, <laughs> okay. they're very similar in that, but it, it definitely speaks to my heart. So, um, yeah, that would be one of my favorite movies. And theater camp was definitely one of my favorite movies at Sundance. All right. Well, that's a good segue into some of your other favorite movies. I always like to ask this question just to give my audience, uh, you know, an understanding of what you're into. So what, what are some of your favorite movies that might not make a vampire list today? Yeah. So I, I'm going to stick with my my letterbox for. Um, so I, I, I like chaos. So I, 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 like, <laughs> I like giving myself some uh, some hard picks. So Hamlet 2 is definitely on there. Um, I absolutely adore Empire Records, even though it's not about anything in particular. Um, I, I feel like there are movies that capture a time and I feel like Empire Records is one of those movies where it just, there, it just, when you, when someone says, what was it like in the nineties? I just hand them a copy of Empire Records. That's, that's, (laughs) it'll tell you everything you need to know about how wild we were at that time. It's Rex Manning day. It's Rex Manning Day, baby. Um, so, I, and then I, I love The Departed. Uh, I think that's one of uh, Scorsese's best, and I know that's a bold, 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 bold thing to say. Um, but I, I think he just brings together so much amazing things in that. Um, the fact that it's adapted and it just everything about it is just so great. I love that movie. It's, it's one of the most rewatchable movies. Uh, I would, I would say in his catalog, uh, since Goodfellas, I think it's one of those movies where it does not matter what point you start the movie at if it's on you're just gonna watch it all the way through yeah sure uh just absolutely fantastic um and then pulp fiction 
I, I adore that movie. I don't know that it's Quentin Tarantino's best because I actually think I'd put it in the top three. Um, but I, I like to rank movies as movies I would watch no matter what. You know what I mean? Like whenever they're on, I'm I'm gonna watch it. Like there's there's no other. That's it. I'm gonna watch that movie. So, uh, you know, th- those would be my top four for Letterbox, and then obviously you can add classics like you know. You can add The Godfather. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm not a huge rom com fan, but I do have some some ones that slip in there a little bit. So I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Sleepless in Seattle. Um, so, okay. Yeah, those those would be those would be some in in the in, in my movie life that I, I would consider favorites. I hate that question's so hard too because it's gonna change every time you ask me. I could guess on the show like three times, and I'll give you a new top five pretty much every time because it all just it all all movies start to blend together at some point. So yeah, at some point it's like, are these still my top five? You know, yeah. you, you always kind of have to evaluate that over time. Yeah. Well, let's talk uh, about our topic tonight: top five vampire films. I was pretty excited about this one for a couple reasons. Number one. It gives me a chance to revisit some of those movies I really, really love. But also, when it comes to the horror subgenres, the vampire film is not one of my favorites. So Ooh, okay. this is one of those times where I'm hoping that you're going to also leave me with some recommendations. Uh, and and hopefully, you know, I, I always kind of got an off-the-wall pick on my list. Hopefully I can give people a recommendation of my own. <laughs> I definitely have some inexcusable picks on here, I think. <laughs> I, think I think some horror fans and vampire fans are going to be very, very mad <laughs> at some of these ones that snuck in there. <laughs> I know. I, I left off a couple of big hitters here, some that I've talked about on the show before. Uh, others that I just didn't love enough on a revisit. And I, I, I've really, you know, a five solid choices here. But what drew you to this topic? Um, you know, I there was a I think I think it was 2021. Um, and I think I did the same thing last year, too. But I every October, I try to do kind of that reevaluation thing in all the different genres. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I go through and I'll try to, you know, reevaluate my my five favorite zombies or, you know, my five favorite vampire films, five favorite slashers um, and try to just, you know, gather what I want to watch. And I always again, I like to base it off of rewatchability, like how many times am I going to rewatch this movie? Um, and there's a couple that just kind of sneak in there where they're just staples across the board. And I, I think that uh, horror in general uh, really does lend itself to having a lot of those movies where you can just rewatch them over and over and over again. It doesn't have to be spooky season. Um, and Vampire, I feel like, is just one of the most versatile adaptions of creatures and monsters that you can possibly do um, because you can pretty much do anything you want. You can do comedy, you can do straight horror, you can do post-apocalyptic, you can do rom-com. Like, there's there's no end to the genre of what you can do, or subgenre, I should say, of what you can do with vampires. And I've always just been fascinated by that. Um, I, I think that there are just so many ideas that are still yet to be uncovered. Um, and you can just keep making new ones all the time, and it's great. So, um, yeah, that's what really draws me to it. Do you have any any comedies on your list, just out of curiosity? Uh, yes, I do. Okay, I do. all right, cool. Yeah, I, I have two that are on my honorable mention list, but I don't have any on my actual list. So okay, I have. I think most of them fell into the uh, into the honorable mention. Okay, uh, for for a lot of the the really funny ones, but um, yeah. <clears throat> all right. Um, how many crossover picks do you think we'll have? How many of the same picks do you think we'll have? I looking at my list, I'm gonna say. I'm going to say we'll probably have, honestly, man, probably two, I think. Okay. Maybe three if we're lucky, but I, I think two. I think two will cross over for sure. Two? Okay. Yeah. I'm going to take the under on that. I'll say I'll say one. Are you ready to get into this list? I, I am. Let's do it. You know what's going to happen? You know what's happening here right now? I know what's going to happen. What? You just made the list. Derek Murray, what do you got? <laughs> uh, I am going to go with From Dust Till Dawn. Do you want to live through this? On ancient ground, a terrifying evil has been unleashed. Now, five strangers are our only hope to stop it. Oh, yeah! On Friday, January 19th. Richie, look out! The showdown is on. From Robert Rodriguez, from Quentin Tarantino, 
From dusk till dawn, rated R. I will be the first to admit that From Dusk Till Dawn is not a good movie. Uh, I, I'm, I'm very aware that it has more than just flaws. It's, it's not really even that good of a movie. And someone somewhere forced their son to be in this film because they wanted to be a producer on it. Um, and, and that's, I, I don't even remember his name, Scott or Ernest Liu. That's who it is. Um, that, that poor kid has no business being in this movie, um, at all. But all that being said, I, I just, I love this movie. It was one of those movies that I saw probably at a young age. So there's a lot of nostalgia factor for me here. Um, and there is just nothing better than evil George Clooney, man. I don't know why he doesn't do it more. He (laughs) just that, that rebel without a cause kind of vibe and just pure a-hole. Like I, I love it, man. I I wish he would do it more. I really do. Cause he does it very well. His Seth is such a great anti-hero. Um, and I, I, I love it. Basically two, two criminals, uh, go on a spree. Uh, they take, uh, a family hostage to get across the border to Mexico and they're told that they have to stay at this trucker stop bar, uh, in, in between, like on the border, uh, right after, right after they get into Mexico. Um, and it turns out that is a vampire haven that's been built on a temple, uh, two vampires. Um, and now they all have to work together to fight to survive, uh, so that they can make it until, uh, until dawn. Um, and, and then there's just, uh, that that's the cliff notes there's some weird stuff that happens in this movie <laughs> i guess i'll start by saying this was also on my list i had it oh, slotted yes. at number two but i'll move I it down it. here to number five so we could talk I about it together it. okay i'm gonna disagree a little bit i because i okay. think it's good i okay. think it's but it depends on what you're going into the movie for it is a very exploitative grindhouse movie which is my jam like super yeah, violent okay over the top, wildly inappropriate. Yeah. It's so much fun. It's so much fun. It's not going to win any Oscars, but this movie I would put on a thousand times before I watch Green Book. I'll tell you that much. (laughs) I I will always welcome Green Book slander, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's, um, it's nuts. Um, it's George Clooney, at his best, playing a very interesting role. Like you said, barely ever plays villains. I also wish he would do it more. You got Quentin Tarantino, who wrote the film, playing Richie, his disgusting, despicable younger brother. Just <laughs> a vile person. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just an awful person in, in this role. You've got a great supporting cast with Harvey Keitel, Juliette Lewis. They're part of the family that smuggles them over the border. You've got uh, Tom Savini in there, Fred Williamson, both given great, really fun performances. Yeah. I think Tom Savini's name is like Sex Machine. It is. In, uh, <laughs> it is, and he and he's got the uh, he's got the old genital gun. <laughs> yep, and then of course you have Selma Hayek with Ugh. one of I rewatched uh, a couple of scenes from this movie for this episode. I didn't get to watch the whole movie again, but I rewatched a couple of scenes and the the dance number where she comes out with the boa around her neck has to be. One of the top five sexiest scenes uh, in all uh, of for movies. sure, for sure. I I mean, as a, as a young impressionable teenager, uh, from from dusk till dawn, paired with Desperado, like mm-hmm. I, that woman holds a special place in my heart forever. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think this one. So this is the only one on my list that has been on another list, and I totally forgot it was on another list until just about before we started filming. This was on my top five mid-film genre switches list. Hey, there you go. Yeah, because this one turns from a basic kind of crime story into a vampire movie. And uh, it's got one of the best openings of all time. It's just a really action-packed robbery to kick things off. And I really also love the interplay between George Clooney and Quentin Tarantino's characters, the Gecko Brothers, because Seth is very much a straightforward robber. I think he says at one point, I don't kill people unless I really have to. Yeah, I'm a thief. That's what I do. Yeah, Yeah. he's a thief. And he comes back from getting everybody food and finds that his brother has, they had a hostage. His brother has raped and killed the hostage. And you can tell there's some real friction between this brotherhood because while he is his brother, if he wasn't, he probably would have killed him long ago. Yep. Before you flip out, okay, let me just explain what happened, yeah, explain, right? explain it to me. 
I need an explanation. What is the matter with you? There's nothing wrong with me, brother. That woman tried to escape, and I did what no, I had to do. No, that woman wouldn't have said shit if she had a mouthful of it. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Yeah. After you left, she became a completely different person. Yeah. Is it me? My fault. It's not your fault. Is this my fault? No, it's your fault. Is this it's not my fault. fault? Do you think that this is what I am? I always find uh, Quentin Tarantino to be pretty off-putting in front of the camera. Um, yeah. And, and I feel like he rarely settles into a role. He's a much better writer-director than he is a performer. Um, and I've felt that way from the, in anything. Like, he, he, even Reservoir Dogs, he's only in it for, like, two minutes. Uh, you know, Pulp Fiction, I, I, you know, whatever. Anything that he's physically in, I don't necessarily care for. But I agree, his interplay with George Clooney and, and those two as the Gecko Brothers, um, they're fantastic. Like, it's, it's some of the best on-screen work, I think, Quentin has done. And I think that's largely because uh, George George Clooney is just shouldering their their brotherhood uh, on, his, on his back and just carrying them through. Uh, but it plays really, really well. Yeah, I think it has to do with him and Robert Rodriguez because the other, yeah. I agree with you, I don't think he's great in, in his movies, but when he's in Robert Rodriguez's movies, like in Desperado, he's great in those small roles. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I th- yeah, I think maybe Rodriguez taps into something that he can't do himself. I think so. Maybe he should have directed that scene in Django Unchained. (laughs) (laughs) That's the weirdest cameo in all of his. It's so bizarre. Like, why are you here, man? That was by far the worst scene in that movie. (laughs) Yeah, no, it it really is. And I uh, that might be one of my favorite Tarantino movies. Uh, It's up there for me, too. It's up there for me, too. Okay, so we both had From Dusk Till Dawn at number five here. And that means if we match up on another pick, you're going to win that bet. I know, I'm excited. All right, number four for you. Number four for me, so this, okay, this is where I'm going to cheat. I'm, I'm going to cheat because I, I just, I can't bring myself to pick one of them. Um, and I, I just have to lump them all together. Uh, and that's going to be the Blade franchise. Oh, uh, nice. And yes, yes, it does include Trinity. And you can come at me. I don't care. Uh I love Blade Trinity. I know I shouldn't. I know it's not good on any level, uh, but I adore that movie. I, I absolutely love it. I, I, I don't care. It's great. It's great. It's just it's just good fun, man. Um, yeah, so I, I have to go all three. I mean, if I was pressed to pick one out of the three of them, obviously it would be the first one. You keep your eyes open. They're everywhere. A secret nation of evil. Tonight, the age of man comes to an end. A war to save our world. Played myself, killed as many of them as we can find. A hero who knows no fear. He makes the weapons. I use them. Wesley Snipes. Stephen Dorff. Blade. Rated R. Starts Friday, August 21st. Um, Because I do think that is the best of the three. Um, But I there there are some amazing things that happen in Blade Two, and I think even Blade Trinity has some has some wins in there. So I just roped them all together so they don't take up more space on my list. Now, for those who haven't seen Blade, why don't you give us kind of a rundown of who the Blade character is? Oh, my gosh. Well, well, first of all, what are you doing with your life? Stop listening <laughs> to this and go watch Blade for crying out loud. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Blade is is the, you know, one of the one of the first kind of black super anti heroes in, in Marvel. Um, and he's half vampire, half human. Uh, so he's what they call a daywalker. Um, and he, you know, drinks synthetic blood, doesn't kill, doesn't drink, uh, actual blood and has it out for vampires. Uh, and just, you know, is out there trying to, trying to kill as many as he possibly can. Um, and then, you know, he comes up against, uh, Stephen Dorff as Deacon Frost, uh, who is, uh, you know, ushering in a new regime, uh, for the, uh, uh, for the vampire world and wants to bring about the blood God. And of course, uh, Blade has to stop him from doing that. Great villain. Great villain, he, by the he way. He is a great villain. I, I find Steven Dorff to be more and more irritating the longer he's allowed to speak. Um, <laughs> but, but he is fantastic in Blade. And the first Blade has the the uh, club scene where it's just raining blood as well. Yes, yes, with that 
beautiful, beautiful late nineties techno that just is it just that infectious repeat beat. Oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> it's so good. That seems so that's such a great opener, man. <laughs> I'm glad that you chose number one because here at number four, for me, is Blade Two. Yes! My favorite of the series. Last time he fought against his sworn enemies. Stop! This time he will fight with them. You're offering your truce. To destroy a new breed of terror. You want me to hunt them for you? Calling all freaks. Not know who you are messing with. Wesley Snipes. This one is directed by Guillermo del Toro. It still never registers to me, man. It, I, I hear people say it out loud, and I know it to be true, and I still, every time I rewatch Blade 2, I'm like, yeah, I, I can't believe this is him. <laughs> to me, this is my favorite. This is like the aliens to alien. This is what mm, this one is okay. to me. It is bigger. It's bigger badder it's bloodier than the first one and i love the supporting cast here as well with wesley snipes you have chris christopherson back as whistler he survives somehow um we also add ron perlman as reinhardt who is a vampire that is just chewing scenery he's got the most ridiculous haircut you could ever see on screen it's great he's got these like funky goggles this is one of those pre-MCU Marvel movies, really the, the Blade series, one of these pre-MCU Marvel movies that really showed you what comic book movies could be. Yeah. They are rated R. They are very bloody. They are uh, unforgiving in their violence. Mm-hmm. Like there's a, a scene between uh, Wesley Snipes' Blade character and a guy named Nomak in this movie. And they have this like four minute fight scene. And it is it, it's a powerful looking fight scene where you have bones popping out of sockets. Yeah. You got doors getting smashed. You got people getting sliced up. You get uh, a character in, near the end of the movie gets split in half with a sword. Uh, so good. Yeah. I mean, you got uh, you got what does Ron Perlman say at one point? Like my daddy said right after he got done killing my mom, if you need something done right, you got to do it yourself. <laughs> so the the, uh, the plot of Blade 2 is Blade is in this battle between a group of mutant vampires who their job is or their, their goal is to commit global genocide of both vampires and human races. So it's just them. So Blade has to team up with vampires in order to stop this threat. And uh, I just, I love Wesley Snipes in the Blade role. I hope at yeah. some point he shows up in the MCU. I think it would be great if he showed up in a Deadpool movie. Like, yeah. people would lose their shit. Yeah. At its core, it's, it's Wesley Snipes kicking vampire ass. I mean, yeah. and he is like stomping people's heads in. He is kicking faces off. He's he's doing wrestling moves at points. He does a <laughs> suplex to somebody. <laughs> And there's there's some real craft there. I mean, you can I I think about the scene where he first encounters uh that that ragtag group and uh that that ninja vampire just comes out all in black and mm-hmm. they do that um that beautiful shot composition with like that gigantic uh light screen on the back that oh, oh my god, it's and it's just their silhouettes there's some there's some really really good fight choreography in 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 Blade 2 for sure. Yeah, I love the fights in here. And like I said, they're they're super violent. They're super, like the punches, the kicks, they feel heavy, which is nice. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the CGI is bad, but it's, oh, sure. <laughs> it's 2002. This is the same year Spider-Man came out. Matrix Reloaded, it's got that same energy of, you know, the bowling pin, 100 mm-hmm. Mr. Smith's fights. But it's a ton <laughs> of fun as a movie. And the Reapers, yeah. so the Reapers are these, uh, they're the, like, more advanced vampire things and they have a great creature design that's kind of reminiscent of the predator when when they open up yeah they got that big wide mouth that splits the jaw it's so it's nightmare inducing yeah i man you make a good case for blade 2 you really do it's it is a good movie it's really fun now i know we can't say the same for for blade trinity but no you uh, see i know you I, I like leave, it i, I don't. leave it in that, that's in my heart that's a heart pick that's and that's that's cool i'm glad you like it i uh 
I think that's the movie that told Triple H he was not going to be a movie star like The Rock. Yeah, sorry, buddy. Sorry, it's it's not in the cars for you. Leave it to Batista, man. He's <laughs> he's got the chops. <laughs> Blade Blade and Blade Two, are both amazing movies. I like Blade Two more, but you know you can't go wrong with either of those first two movies. Highly recommended. All right, going into number three here. I've had to rearrange my list twice now. Let's see if you make me do it again. (laughs) Uh, All right, so uh, number three uh, is going to be The Lost Boys. Michael and Sam are about to discover a secret in California. Santa Carla's crawling with vampires. Stay back! Stay back! I'm your brother, Sammy! Help me! What's happening when you start? My own brother, a blood-sucking vampire. You better give yourself a garlic t-shirt, buddy. Will you eat till mom find out? Has anyone gone crazy here? The Lost Boys. Rated R. Starts Friday, July 31st. All right, I was hoping this would be on your list because it's not on mine. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, yeah, so The Lost Boys is... I, 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 I want to say that it's it's pretty uh, tied to its time, so it's not very transcendent. I, I think it very much belongs in the '80s where where it was. Um, but I, there's just some there's just some great performances in here. I think it's got a a, a great kind of tongue in cheek uh, comedy kind of going on underneath it. Um, it's got just an incredible theme song uh, that plays all throughout. I mean, there's just nothing creepier than than choir kids uh singing the ten commandments like that's just (laughs) that that strikes fear into my heart more than any vampires um but it's great i mean you get this great performance from jason patrick uh great performance from from little baby keeper sutherland um and yeah it's just a it's just a fun movie man um so uh yeah i mean the lost boys uh, essentially uh two kids get uprooted from their city life and they got to move to what is it santa Oh God, it's it's not. It's like Santa Cruz. It's uh, it's, it's Santa Cruz. I forgot what they actually call it. So you know they they're living on a beach town, and that's not where they're supposed to be. And uh, you know, it turns out that there are vampires that are you know roaming around, and uh, they um they actually convert the oldest brother, and he becomes a vampire, but he definitely doesn't want to. So uh, his younger brother uh, and this is where we get the the Cory and Corys. We get the we get them uh back up get that nice little pairing so they decide that they're going to save his older brother find the uh leader of of this pack in in uh in in the santa cruz area uh and and uh save save their older brother yeah i i think this is a great movie too a ton of fun like you said great cast alex winter's in there too yeah it's just a whole lot of fun i don't love a whole lot of joel schumacher's movies but if somebody was like hey you got to come up with a top five this would be my favorite one for sure yeah it's a good one man i i really really like the lost boys um and it's funny because every time i visit every time i revisit these lists uh especially in the vampire genre i almost forget about it and then when i go through the list again i'm like dude why is the no put the lost boys in there I always move it up, and then it makes me want to go watch The Lost Boys. I love the tagline, too. And it kind of tells you everything you need to know about the vibe of the movie. The tagline is, sleep all day, party all night, never grow old, never die. It's fun to be a vampire. Oh, so good, man. So, And then you got oiled up, uh, shirtless uh, saxophone guy, which, <laughs> you know, just a scene stealer. Just absolute scene stealer. <laughs> I know. And I'm, a, I'm just a sucker for the Corys. So anytime. Oh, yeah. And they were in oh, so yeah. many movies together, but this is obviously the best. Well, maybe this and License to Drive. Well, my number three is one that I have. It was bumped. So this was my number five. Okay. And I always find that at number five is is one of my areas where I can really play around and come out with one of those deep cuts. And this is one that I saw as a young kid, and I never really stopped thinking about it as a really great vampire movie. Now, I haven't seen it in a very long time, and it's probably not uh, technically great. But again, it's like From Dusk Till Dawn. It's one of those movies that I really love because it's a whole lot of fun. And that is 1993's Midnight Kiss. Detective Carrie Blass was a hard luck cop. What are you doing here? This is homicide's case. Stay out of this. Looking for a second chance. We assigned you to homicide. You screw up. It's the last case you'll ever work. What she got was a case. 
16 murders in two months. No leads, suspects, witnesses, no nothing. That would take her into another world. Guy's an animal. He's a goddamn vampire. Against a killer from the afterworld. Time for a bite. Yeah! Let me get this straight. You think that you're a vampire. I can feel it coming on. First time I saw you, I knew you were the one. She's in too deep. Nice kitty. You drive the stakes through their hearts, right? All I know is I've got to get to the vampire who bit me. Destroy him before it's too late. Have you heard of this one before? I, I have heard of this one. I have not seen it in ages, so I, I probably couldn't even fully recall it. Um, but I but I do know this one. I do know Midnight's Kiss. You're probably one of a very small handful of people who have heard about this movie, but I'm going to try and sell people on seeking it out. Now, the tough part is that you can't seek it out on disc. It has never been on DVD or Blu-ray. It has only been released on VHS. So... Hopefully at some point, one of these boutique labels picks it up and puts it out. But obviously the late 80s and the early 90s were heavy, heavy, heavy on vampire movies. Lost Boys is just one example of that. And the success of those movies gave us all kinds of spinoffs. This was one of those spinoffs. Now in the trailer, it's referred to as Vampire Cop. If you look on YouTube, it's referred to as Vampire Cop. There is another film called Vampire Cop. It's a completely different movie. This one, though, was known as Vampire Cop overseas, and it was called Midnight Kiss when it was here in, uh, in the States. So it's about this vampire who's killing people, sucking blood in the city, and the police can't stop him because he's a vampire. And one night, there's a uh, policewoman who's kind of like after this vampire, and the vampire bites her. But instead of becoming a new mistress for him, she becomes this kind of like super vampire cop and keeps searching for the killer. So now you have this vampire cop, which is why overseas it was called Vampire Cop. Yeah. This is um it's really one of those like 90s Cinemax classics you'd find on the channels you weren't supposed to be watching it at 11 o'clock at <laughs> I night. Love, I love those finds. Those are so those are so much fun. Yeah, and this is where I this is how I saw that movie. I was at a friend's house. I think it was in like 6th grade, 7th grade, and this was on they had Cinemax. I didn't have Cinemax as a kid, but they did. And uh, we watched this at like 11 o'clock at night. And it's part erotic thriller, part very gory vampire film, and part police vigilante film. So if those three things, you like a gumbo of those three things, you got you got a winner here. Uh, this guy named Greg Greer plays the vampire, and I think he's pretty good as a vampire, but he never fil- he never appeared in a film again. Oh, wow. Okay. The very first scene, I mean, this guy shows up, And there's this guy like harassing this girl and he shows up. He's you can already see they they throw some of the common vampire rules in the trash because he's wearing a priest outfit and he's got a cross earring, (laughs) just one earring. And uh, oh, Siri just decided she wanted to get into the vampire game here. She's very into Midnight's Kiss or Vampire Cop. I guess so. Um, So he picks this guy up and tears the skin of his face off. That is so, it's so beautifully early 90s. Like, oh, I love it. I, I need to revisit this one. I need to, I, I know, I've, I think I saw it in the same, uh, I think I saw it in the same vein. Because I, I remember we used to have that old school Cinemax Showtime HBO mm-hmm. combo. Um, and, and there were, and this is long before I was ever, you know, really into film. Um, and, and so there's just a ton of movies like that that are just jumbled around in my head that I don't even really believe existed until, so until we do stuff like this and you're like, no dude, that that's a real movie. Like that's a movie I've seen too. Yeah. Midnight kiss. Michelle Owens is the woman who plays the police officer and she never did anything else either, which is strange to me. She kind of gave off a Elizabeth Berkeley vibe when you watch her. Okay. She's really great in this. And she is battling not only this vampire who's stalking her, but she's also battling her police department. <laughs> like, there's it, this is, again, early 90s. You have so much sexual harassment going on that it's going to be yeah. really uncomfortable. Like, for example, the police chief he wants to hear her plan to catch this killer and he has her meet him at a strip club. (laughs) And then while they're at the club, he propositions her to like go home with him. It's that kind of stuff she's dealing with. I love it. Oh yeah. I love it. Yeah. I need to, I need to find this one again. 
I think you can find a version on YouTube. It's uh, It's got like subs burned in in Spanish, I think, but you can find it in, in really terrible quality on YouTube. It's okay. directed by a guy named Joel Bender who really didn't direct anything else of note. He's the, I think the biggest thing he directed was probably Gas Pump Girls in 1979, which is like oh, a wow. stupid okay. sex comedy. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's got some decent practical gore effects, some good vampire makeup. And I do hope that at some point, one of these uh, like vinegar syndromes picks this up and, and gives it the treatment it deserves. Yeah. Well, if you had to sell anybody, you sold me to rewatch it. So <laughs> give it a I, shot. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm definitely going to check this one down because it, it sounds it does sound like it checks off a lot of boxes. And I I like I said, I remember the name, but it I definitely watched it at a time where I was not cataloging movies. Oh, and yeah. Remembering what movie I actually watched. So I just remember a collection of scenes. <laughs> yeah. And there's some memorable scenes in there for sure. Yeah. <laughs> she like, uh, there's one scene where she's, I, I remember she's in her police precinct and some guys acting up after she turns into a vampire and she just like smacks his head against the wall until his brains are, are out. <laughs> and then the rest of the cops just give her a high five and they go on with their day. I love it. Oh, so beautiful. Oh God, we were wild in the nineties. I'm going to go with actually interview with the vampire. You're a vampire. You never knew what life was until it ran out in a red gush over your lips. They live for the pleasure, the passion, the thrill. The story you told me is, is incredible. It's amazing. And they will live forever. Don't make me do this. I cannot! Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt. Interview with the vampire. Rated R. Starts Friday, November 11th. I love this movie. Um, I I think this is one of the uh, better kind of like uh, vampire tragedies. Because um, I think a lot of vampire movies tend to highlight the... Uh, they tend to highlight the either the gore or the violence or the just enjoyment it is for being a vampire. And then the only person that really struggles with, you know, the vampirism is the audience surrogate. Whereas I feel like in interview with the vampire in, in any, in some capacity, all vampires are struggling. Like even Lestat, as much as he is out there and egregious and bold and egotistical and manipulative and all of these things, at the end of the day, he just wants somebody there with him. <laughs> like, he just doesn't want to be alone. So even somebody that loves being a vampire still has things he longs for. Um, and I think Interview does that very, very well. Um, and I'm also just a sucker for period pieces. Um, so if, if you do a period piece with vampires, with baby Tom Cruise and baby Brad Pitt, uh, and little child Kirsten Dunst, and a random, uh, you know, uh, uh, Antonio Banderas. I just, I mean, come on, man. I'm sold. Like this, this movie's Andy fantastic. Newton also. Oh my God. Right. Oh, so good. So good. Yeah. This one is on my honorable mentions and, okay. uh, Neil Jordan, he makes a great vampire movie. He also made a great werewolf movie in the company of wolves. Yeah. Great performances by both Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise. Christian Slater is in there too, in in all his glory. Just, yeah. yeah, really good yeah. movie. This this is this is like the pinnacle of '90s heartthrobs too. Like all yeah. all these megastars or guys that are either coming up or on their way out. Like they all combine and come into this one movie where they're just all there. Um, and yeah, and Tom Cruise he delivers one of my all time favorite lines. Uh, in almost any movie, uh, but it's when he grabs the the dead body of the mother and he goes, "There's life in the old lady yet," and then just dances around with this lifeless body. I I could watch that scene every day for the rest of my life. It's so good. The delivery is great. The performance is great. I I love it. I absolutely love this one. Um, great pick at number two there. My number two is more of a newer film, and this is one that, uh, you know, I just wanted to shine some light on. Originally, this was at my number four on my list. This is a movie from 2021 called Jacob's Wife. How do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? You make plans for things. Life happens. I want to live a bigger life. 
You know, Anne, I am surprised that you wound up marrying Jacob. Whatever happened to the adventurous Anne? Are you familiar with this one? I am not. All right. So uh, Jacob's Wife was a, a smaller release directed by Travis Stevens, who just came out with A Wounded Fawn, which is another really interesting movie if you Ooh. haven't seen that yes, one Yes, it is. Yes, it is. That, that one That one was... That's how I had to sit. I saw it on a plane, and I had to like mm. just sit after a while in the terminal on a layover and be like, do I like this? Okay, I do like this. Mm-hmm. I just have to make sure I know what the <laughs> hell was going on. <laughs> Yeah, that was one that uh, didn't, you know, didn't 100% work for me, but it was interesting. It was real yeah. interesting. This one, though, is more of a, a broad appeal, especially if you like vampire films. This is, and here's two names that I think are going to sell most horror fans who haven't seen this on it. The main couple is Barbara Crampton and Larry Fessenden. Ah, wow. How have I not heard of this one? Yeah, so uh, Anne is played by Barbara Crampton. She's married to this small town minister named Jacob, and she's very much the housewife role. And it feels like her life has been kind of shrinking over the past 30 years. She's just kind of, she's just kind of there. Like she's serving him dinner. It's a boring life for her. And an old flame of hers comes into town and he's, he's doing like some type of real estate deal. So she goes with him to this real estate deal and she goes into the basement and there they encounter a strange creature. And when she comes out of the basement, she's got a new sense of power and an appetite for life and also an appetite for blood, of course. Now, yes. there's a couple of reasons why I really like Jacob's wife. So first off, like I said, Barbara Crampton, Larry Fessenden, they are great in these roles. And they look fantastic. I mean, especially Barbara Crampton. I think she was like 62 years old when she filmed this film. So she looks fantastic. Second, and this is probably most important, the film goes in a much different direction than you might think. It also never takes itself too seriously. It has some moments of actual genuine comedy. Once Anne turns into a vampire, I thought for sure that the rest of this movie was going to be about Jacob being suspicious about her activity, thinking that she was being unfaithful with this new flame and she was going to try and hide it like that. That's what I thought it was going to be. But he basically finds out she's a vampire almost instantly. And that's where some of the comedic moments come from. And just a really interesting interplay between Fessenden and Crampton. And of course, it's a vampire movie, so you got to have some gore. And although there aren't a whole ton of bloody scenes in this when they do happen, I mean, blood sprays in this movie. There is at one point somebody tears the head off of somebody to drink the drink the blood like a fountain. (laughs) (laughs) And there's somebody says in this movie, somebody says, I'm going to tongue fuck a hole in your neck until you puke blood. Oh, my God. I need to watch this movie right now. It's, a, I, it's that, great. God, I love that. I I am such a sucker for just just vulgar wordplay and just anytime you can create something like that, I I'm completely sold. I I love it. <laughs> I absolutely love it. You you got me. I'm I'm putting it on the list for sure. That sounds right up my alley. That one is on Shutter right now. That's Jacob's Wife from 2021. Perfect. I have Shutter. I will definitely watch that one for sure. All right, we are to our grand finale here. Derek, who do you have in your number one slot for top five vampire films? All right, so I, again, I'm going to cheat a little bit because I like both of these movies. Um, They're both the same movie. One's just Swedish and the other's American. Mm, Um, Where you're going. Yeah, so I got to go with, uh, I got to go with Let the Right One In slash Let Me In. An ancient force has survived for 200 years by living are you a vampire as a child i need blood to live you okay from the director of cloverfield do you think there's such a thing as evil how do you protect a bomb when you are cursed to destroy Starts October 1st. Uh, let the right one in. I so for for those of you too young to remember the time of of real Netflix, 
Um, <laughs> there, <laughs> there was a time where the only way you could find movies like this is if you literally got a DVD mailed to your house from Netflix and sat and watched the trailers on your DVD and then go to your Netflix queue, request those movies, and then watch them. Um, and they'd have to see, yeah, so Netflix was a wild time <laughs> back in the day. Um, but that is that is truly how I discovered this one. I, I was going through the uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo series, and uh, because they're both Swedish, uh, Let the Right One In came up as a trailer, and I was like, what is this? And I need this in my life. So I I checked it out, and I was like, this is, this is just incredible. Like, this movie is so good. Um, it's so wildly different than almost any vampire movie i've seen uh while still keeping in line with the things i like about vampires um because it is it's bloody it's got some graphic violence but it just deals with vampirism in a way that i don't think many other vampire films in the genre have tackled um and i i just i was i genuinely love this movie um i think the american remake is actually pretty solid um it i is have not a, seen that one i haven't seen the remake it's it's pretty good. It's I I would venture to it's probably a not probably it is almost a shot for shot remake um, with with very little adaption. Um, Chloe Grace Moretz, you know she she's absolutely fantastic um, in this one. It also has Richard Jenkins in here, um, so it's it's really really solid. If I had to pick between the two, I would probably say that Let the Right One In is is the superior film, um, but they are pretty close. And I actually think that uh, Swedish bullies are infinitely worse than American bullies, uh, according to these movies, because my God, are they just horrendous human beings. And it's, uh, but the, their comeuppance, even though you, you almost feel bad because they don't deserve to die that brutally, uh, their deaths, the, the, the end, sorry, I'm spoiling it, but um, the, the end of this movie has just, uh, if you were waiting for grotesque over-the-top violence, the way they do this and the way they shoot it and the way you see it is just, oh, it's so good. So yeah, I, I got to go with that one. This one's on my honorable mentions only because I haven't seen it in a very long time. I also caught this on a Netflix disc back in the day. And yeah. you'll have to let me know if I'm right. Uh, this is The end of this takes place in a swimming pool, right? Yes, it does. Yeah, yep. that, that swimming pool scene is amazing. Oh, there are two so things good. that I will always associate with this. Number one, that swimming pool scene. And number two, that line, I'm 12, but I've been 12 for a long time. Yes. Oh, oh so good, man. Yeah. So good. This is a great. I, I remember this being such a great movie. I, I I should go back and rewatch it because, like I said, I don't remember much about it. Yeah, don't don't watch the series on Showtime. It's not. Oh, uh, I didn't even know there was a series. They did, and I I feel like I, there was actually a From Dust Till Dawn series, by the way. I do know that I have uh, season one on my shelf. I haven't watched it yet. It's surprisingly good. I was extremely skeptical, but the way they build out the lore and the guys they got to play the the Gecko Brothers, um, they're doing. They're doing a pretty good combination of uh, kind of, you know, impersonation while also adding their own flair to it. So they very much feel like they are the Gecko Brothers of the movie, but then they add a little bit of... It does go off the rails once you start getting into, like, season two, and I think they do season three or two and a half. Um, But that first season is really, really good. Well, speaking of seasons, it looks like both of our number ones spawned TV shows, which is kind of a cool connection. My number one is a movie from 1972, and it's actually a television movie called The Night Stalker. May I introduce myself? My name is Kolshak of the Daily Chronicle. Kolshak reports the bizarre, the supernatural, the unexplainable. You again in another crazy story. This nut thinks he is a vampire. You know what I call that? Irresponsible yellow journalism. He has killed four, maybe five women. I saw that so-called super killer wipe up the streets with your so-called police force. They don't want any help from amateur bloodhounds like you. I've been a reporter for 22 years. I've been a police officer for 30. Well, then why don't you retire? Each man in the field is issued one of these and uh, one of these. Are you suggesting that we pound one of these into Scorzini's chest? No, no, into his heart. Darren McGavin. 
the Night Stalker. Have you heard of this one before? I, I, I'm gonna say yes, but I don't. I, I know I haven't seen it, but I have heard of the Night Stalker. It's also known sometimes. Well, it it spawned a series called Kolchak the Night Stalker, which might okay. seem familiar, more familiar. Um, this is an amazing horror movie, and it's an it's the best television movie of all time, in my opinion. This movie was so important as a vampire film for a couple of reasons. First, it opened up the door for television horror films. I don't know if it was the first, but it was certainly the highest rated horror movie on TV ever at the time. This was one of the highest rated original TV movies ever when it was released. Wow. And here's a, a stat for you. It had on, on the night that it aired, January 11th, 1972, it had a, 40, a share of 48 which means that 48% of televisions that were on were watching this movie. Half wow. the country. Like you'll never see you'll never see that anymore. No, you won't. You won't. That that's such a I for those for those that probably don't remember like TV ratings used to mean something. Yeah, <laughs> like they, yeah. They actually had value um and and that 48 is a big deal. Big, that's big a big number. deal. Yeah. Yeah, that's huge. So this aired opposite a, an episode of Hawaii Five O, and then an NBC News special. It absolutely just trumped everything that was on. The movie did so well that it was released overseas as a theatrical movie. So it was on TV oh, wow. here, but over in like Europe, it it was in theaters. And there was a sequel TV movie that came out two years later called The Night Strangler. And then Kolchak the Night Stalker came out, which was a 20-episode TV series. If you want to check that out, Kino, actually Kino put out the Night Stalker too, but Kino put out the Night Stalker series, which is an amazing set. This is a film that inspired a ton of filmmakers that we know and love, including Guillermo del Toro, who has who was on our list at yeah. one point here. And the TV series was Chris Carter's inspiration for The X-Files. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so a little clout there. Um, the Night Stalker movie is about uh, this dude, Carl Kolchak. He's a journalist, and he's in Las Vegas. He's following the police beat for this small Las Vegas newspaper, and these dead showgirls keep popping up, drained of their blood, and they've got bite marks on their necks. The police are not really looking into it again because it's like showgirls, prostitutes, hookers. And his boss wants nothing to do with the story. So Kolchak, believing that there's a real vampire prowling the city streets, decides that he's going to go and, and do something about it. It's a really, really great, really scary movie. It starts out really modern feeling. You know, you got like no mystery as to who the killer's identity is. You get some great shots of early 70s Las Vegas and then slowly the film starts moving into the gothic old school horror territory until by the end we're having a final showdown in this old gothic estate that doesn't look like 72 or Vegas at all. Wow. It's a really fantastic movie directed by uh, John Llewellyn Moxie, who did tons of TV movies and TV episodes. He did, uh, you probably know of Nightmare in Batham County. Okay, yeah. He, he directed, he did Panic in Echo Park. And okay. then he did episodes of all kinds of TV shows, Mod Squad, Mission Impossible, Kung Fu, oh, wow. Manix, Miami Vice, Murder, She Wrote, all those kind of things. Wow. Okay. Um, but okay. yeah, The Night Stalker, it's it's one of those movies that it, it's kind of like Citizen Kane. Like you watch it now and you realize how many things it inspired later mm, on. Just yeah. He And, and Kolchak as a character, he's got a great look. Um, I highly recommend... Really, I, I highly recommend both TV movies and the TV show, which are all sitting on my shelf, all worthy of that space. Yeah, I, this is great, man. I, I've literally I got th three out of your five. I, I need to either revisit or or see for the first time. Um, so, yeah, this is uh, this. That's awesome. Well, that's uh, the goal. Excited. That's the goal to give people and me and you more movies to watch. I, I know. <laughs> yeah. Lord knows I need them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Now we got our five on the board. What are some of those movies that were close to making your list, but didn't quite make it? Yeah. So uh, I'll run down these uh, relatively quick. Uh, so Fright Night um, mm -hmm. and actually both uh, the original and the remake, which 
Strangely, the remake has grown on me in the last couple of years. I like the remake um, quite a bit. Yeah, I remember when I first saw it, and I, I just for whatever reason, I maybe I wasn't in the right headspace, or I was expecting something else. Um, but I remember just not enjoying it, and I've actually revisited it quite a few times since. And almost on every rewatch, it grows and grows and grows on me. Um, Anton Yelchin uh, is just, he's so good. He was so great. Um, and I always forget how much fun uh, Colin Farrell can have. Oh, yeah. And and this movie, he is just, God, just chewing through scenery in this remake. No doubt. <laughs> just having the time of his life. Uh, so, yeah, I've, I've grown to very, very much appreciate uh, both versions. Um so that one, um, Daybreakers. I haven't seen Daybreakers. Daybreakers is so criminally underrated. Uh, it, I, it's, it has, I will say this, it has probably one of the dumbest endings I think I've seen in a <laughs> vampire movie in a really long time. And I remember, I remember when I first watched it, I was like, I loved everything about this except the last five minutes. Um, but it's got a great performance from Ethan Hawke. Um, it, it's just a, it's one of these movies where like, uh, it's got Willem Dafoe in there. It's it's got this like all star cast, but uh, Daybreakers is is basically uh, the idea of uh, vampires have essentially taken over. So everything the day t- everything's reversed. So everything comes alive in the nighttime. The daytime shuts down, um, and there this you know uh, this prestigious uh, vampire in in Ethan Hawke he discovers a he discovers Willem Dafoe who is now human, but was a vampire. And that has not happened in a very, very long time. So he starts going down this rabbit hole of what they're doing, how they're, you know, you know, and then it obviously uncovers like this big government secret. And um, it, it just gets really, really interesting. And they do some really interesting things with it. So I, I would highly recommend Daybreakers. It's, it's very good and a criminally underrated vampire flick, I feel like. Um, so 30 Days of Night. Yeah. It's a good one. Uh, which, which is just a good one. I don't know if it's the top five, but damn, you, you want you want dark, bloody, and graphic. That's <laughs> 30 Days of Night is the way to go. Um, and then this one is technically, I feel bad because this is just not a good movie, but I just love it for concept alone. Um, and that's Dracula 2000. Oh, God, I hated that movie. <laughs> I know. I, and listen, you're not wrong. I, I will never fault anybody for I I actually would fault you if you liked it because I know I'm like the only person uh, that does. Um, but I, it's it's all concept. It's just the way that they create the Dracula and and his origin story here uh, sells it for me. I will I will absolutely relent and say that everything else in this movie is garbage. Uh, e- even though it has Gerard Butler before he does whatever Gerard Butler does now, mm-hmm. um, and you know one of my favorites who never gets enough credit in my opinion is Johnny Lee Miller. Um, but oh yeah, he, him him trying to be an American ever is just bad. Like just don't, just be British, dude. Like that's where you thrive, man. <laughs> Um, so I, I wouldn't recommend it, but I, I do I do love Dracula 2000. <laughs> hey, you're going to um, like what you're going to like. Yeah. And then uh, the, the last two uh, would be the original Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie. That's technically horror comedy, but um, that that one's just fun. That's just a fun time. Uh, I, that one's just great. I just love that movie. Um, and then Vampires. Uh, probably one of John Carpenter's worst, but one of my favorites. Yeah, I like uh, Vampires. Yeah, vampires is uh, it's again. If you want that straightforward, brutal violence uh, that almost doesn't make any sense, but you got good old badass James Woods. That okay, let's go. Jack Crow. <laughs> so it's so great. I love it. I love it. I there are there are prestigious vampire movies for me, and then there are ones that are just they're, they're just vampires. Like that's it. There's no. We don't need to be anything more than we are. It's just vampires. Um, and I, I love that sometimes. So yeah, those would be my honorable mentions. Um, all right. So my honorable mention list, I also had Fright Night on my honorable mentions. The only reason it wasn't on my list is because it just made my, uh, top five list for top five, uh, physical media releases of 2022. Oh, okay. Nice. And, uh, they had a Sony put out a killer 4k package and uh, it just looks fantastic. So I already I just talked about it, so it didn't make my list. It would have. This is hands down my second favorite vampire movie after uh, The Night Stalker. Yeah. 
Um, I also had Near Dark on my honorable mentions list. Solid. Bill Paxton in the Catherine Bigelow film. Great movie. Uh, let's see which ones uh, you already mentioned interview with the vampire. You already mentioned let the right one in vampires kiss with Nicolas Cage. Yeah. A lot of fun. <laughs> a yeah, lot that, of fun. that was a lot of fun. I, I actually can't wait for Renfield. I, I, I remember when it was announced and I was like, this sounds like the worst idea I've ever heard. And then I saw the trailer and I was like, this sounds like the best idea I've ever heard. <laughs> and I need Dracula Nick Cage in my life right now. I've heard it looks like a lot of fun. I don't watch trailers, but I'm looking forward oh, to seeing man. it. Good man. Good for you. Uh, I have also, let's see, almost just make, missing my list was Kronos, another Del Toro film. Yeah. Great movie. And then I, I wanted to mention it wasn't going to make my list, but Blood Relatives from 2022 is the Noah Segan movie that he directed and stars in, where he's a vampire that finds out that he has a daughter. And it, it turns out he had this daughter like 13 years ago. He didn't know about it. He's a vampire. She's half vampire. And her mom passed away. So now he's got custody of her and he's got to teach her, you know, how to how to be a vampire. Uh, it's a it's a good horror comedy from I think it was either late last year or early this year that it came out. OK, I don't think I've heard of that one, actually. Yeah. Blood Relatives. You can also find that one on Shudder. So it's a, it's a fun watch. Shudder is the gift that keeps on giving, man. No kidding. It's by far my uh, most used sh- streaming service for sure. And it's funny, I'm not, I wouldn't even consider myself a horror fan. I, it's not one of my favorite genres, but it's been so reliable in the last couple of years that once I got Shudder, I was like, well, when there's nothing else on anywhere else, I can always go to Shudder. <laughs> yeah, they do a lot of interesting things. All right, cool. Um, well, let's recap our list real quick from five to one. I will go first here. I had, uh, well, we both had from dusk till dawn at number five. I had Blade 2 at number 4, Midnight Kiss at number 3, Jacob's Wife at number 2, and my number 1 was The Night Stalker from 1972. Uh, so I had uh, number 5 at From Dust Till Dawn. Uh, I had, uh, did I do Blade or? You did Blade, yeah. I did Blade next, right. Um, Blade or Blade franchise, whichever one you guys are willing to give me. Um, and then The Lost Boys. Uh, and then, uh, interview with the vampire is number two, uh, and then let the right one in slash let, let me in, uh, as my, as my number one. Amazing vampire films for everybody to go seek out. Derek, where can people read more of your stuff? Where can they connect with you online? Yeah, absolutely. So you guys can follow me on Twitter. Um, it's uh, DRock Comedy. That's D R O K Comedy. Um, and then you can always check me out on nerdbot.com, um, where you can catch all of my pieces for reviews. I try to review as many movies as I possibly can. Um, and then, you know, for all the quick reviews that don't get full reviews, because some of them just simply don't deserve a thousand words, uh, you can uh, you can follow me on Letterboxd as well. Um, I believe that's D-Rock Comedy. Let me just make sure. Hold on. Yes, it is. So D-Rock Comedy on Letterboxd, D-R-O-K Comedy. Um, I try to log everything that I watch, so I've gotten pretty... I just came on to Letterboxd, I think, I don't know, last year. Um, So I try to record everything, especially ones that just won't get the full treatment. But always check out NerdBot. I I have reviews at least every week, even when I'm, you know, super busy. I always try to get at least the major ones and then try to do films that, uh, you know, you might not have seen. And then interview directors and, and stuff like that. So... Awesome. And of course, all the links to all that stuff will be in the show notes. Go check that out. Follow Derek on Twitter. Make sure to follow on Letterboxd and go check out some reviews too. Thanks so much for coming on, dude. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, man. This is a blast. I had a great time. Thanks for having me. 